Their goal chance for Conor McGregor and surely give it in Conor. What a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team Mackie still going. Goal is up for Cats! Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne! If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind at the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. It's a small change before the game, worth the street. All right, how's it going? It's the Friday GAA podcast. I hope you like our new intro. You better like it because Adrian Barry has literally done nothing else for the last three days <laughs> except make this intro. Well, that's Good job, more, Adrian. More productive than uh, my regular three days work. So I didn't want to say. Don't, put, don't put yourself down, Adrian. Please you do a bit. You do, you do your fair share. Unlike some people, yeah. namely Jared Gilroy, who is pulling a Dublin footballers on it and refusing to enter the championship until midway through June, presumably we may see him. But one man who is here, a man who you couldn't really accuse of getting a job on Sky because of his looks. It's Dave McIntyre. <laughs> I thought I was that Baywatch babe. Really? I mean, I thought yeah. the Irish media were being terribly presumptuous, linking Rachel immediately with Joe Brawley's comments. I mean, you know, there was a little wriggle mm. room there. Who knows? It wasn't myself well, or, or one Jamesy, of the other lads. Or Jamesy, yeah. you know. Yeah. Nicky English was probably rugged, feeling a little hard done by as well. Rugged West Coast look of Jamesy. That's mm. terribly presumptuous. Well, it was more than likely Brian Kearney, I suspect, <laughs> yes. if, uh, if, there's, if they're talking about uh, good looks. Uh, good to have you back, Dave. Nice, <laughs> nice relaxing break. Yeah, uh, very relaxing break. Delighted to be back, though, on that um, wonderfully crafted intro has... Got the blood up leads for the weekend. Right. Uh, I didn't expect that in the first couple of minutes of the <laughs> GM I'm looking forward to it now. I'm, I'm all excited. You missed out on the big one in Ockram last Sunday? Yeah, I did take the Sunday game and I was away for a few days, had it taped, watched it mm. during the week. I missed an absolute classic. When you say taped, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you I do realise it's not 2014 and there recorded. Are other means I recorded of, it. Hmm. You uh, didn't tune into News Talks coverage lying on the beach in Spain, no? I didn't have Wi-Fi on the beach, unfortunately. That You're is unfortunate. To use your, and I wasn't uh, going 3G. to rack up an extortionate yeah. 3G bill. That's the cabin. You see, that's the cabin background coming at you there now again. Would that's you believe I checked my Wi-Fi about 10 times over the 10 days? 61 euro it cost me. Wow. That's why I didn't listen to the entire wow. game. Yeah. That is the cabin man coming out in 100%. Well, look, we're going to be looking ahead to all the weekend's games, but there is really only one place to start, and that is this unholy row between Mickey Hart and Liam O'Neill. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready, ready, let's get ready, ready, let's get ready to rumble. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. No, well, in fairness to Mickey Hart, um, he doesn't leave much negativity out, in fairness to him. Okay. He, uh, you know, if there's something negative he said, Mickey will say it. Well, I can't be responsible for how Liam sees life, but I just look it through my own lens, and that's not the way I look at it. But if that's the way he chooses to, to, to describe it, that's up to him. Perhaps a view in the mirror might sort that out. So in the one corner, we've got the most influential man in the GEA. And in the other corner, we got Liam O'Neill. Hey! hey. hey. Worked on that all week. <laughs> this is quite bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. That the president of the GEA is having a good cut-off one of the most well-known figures and one of the most experienced managers. It's, there's really no need for all this. 
No, but I think it's great. Um, there are very few GA presidents over the years that would have responded to Mickey Hart's comments like Liam did. I think it's actually refreshing because Liam was obviously one of the staunchest supporters of the black card as it was coming in. And he's, I'm sure, feels he needs to be in a position where he's going to stand behind it now that there's some questions been raised about it. I don't really think there are any questions been raised. It was just a blatant mistake by a referee. Mickey Hart is also right because he would feel that his team were very hard done by. But there was the way things weren't last Sunday, I mean, Liam O'Neill is probably right. There was a few negative things from both sides and Mickey Hart must consider himself pretty lucky with a couple of the calls that went Tyrone's way as well. He's not a, have, hasn't even started in Sky and already both men are right on exactly they opposite are, sides of the you can, if you put the If you put the look through the lens, as Mickey Hart said, of both of these guys, you can see where both are coming from. Well... well with with uh, Liam O'Neill I think there was a feeling with his comments that maybe he was going to make them he sensed that no matter what happened in that match that Mickey Hart was going to come out and have a problem with the black card I just think the problem with Liam O'Neill's comments is that Mickey Hart was dead right last Sunday mm. because David Coldrick got it horribly horribly wrong well, but, when Mickey Hart said that there were two different he didn't know what rules the game was being played under last Sunday and I don't think that's fair I mean the black card situation was ruled upon correctly by David, McGold, David Coldrick three times he got one of them wrong okay so uh, Mickey Hart obviously will feel very much but annoyed but it was the most obvious it was the most McGinn. blatantly well, obvious for example Niall Morgan I think was lucky to get a black card for his tackle well that could have been a red card <clears throat> that should have been a red he should be suspended for this game on Saturday evening um, they were a little fortunate I think with the decision they got from the the sideline ball that became a free in so you could, it all evens itself out Mickey Hart I don't think I don't think it was very fair in that particular comment but when he turns around and says the guy that t- changed the game shouldn't have been on the field well that is 100% true Isn't a major point here that the president and I'm going to go completely against you here Dave of the GEA shouldn't be making these comments on a national uh, on a national basis like that like there's no structure in place that um, Mickey Hart there should be some sort of system in place where Mickey Hart is very clearly pissed off about what happened in that game so there should be some sort of a situation where Mickey Hart as opposed to just going away and having to sit in those uh, comments and then sort of having to vent a little bit when Lee McMill makes, makes his comments that there's some sort of a system where there's a review system particularly now where we're right in, smack bang in the middle of this new... Like, we we said it last week about the black card had existed all the way through the league and nobody really played paid a huge amount of attention to it because really it was only the league. And whatever little sort of betting in process were going to happen, were going to happen without anybody paying any big heed to it. We're not even... We're just a week into it. And already, like, the, as you say, the most powerful man in the GA, one of the, um, like, the longest-serving manager, already gone head-to-head. I just think there needs to be another platform for this to happen. And I also think that the idea of, and Mickey Hart took issue with it in his response to Liam O'Neill, that because he's critical of the black card situation, that he's in some way being negative. Like, that's a lot of nonsense. He's not being negative. He's just pointing out the fact that this thing is not working. Why is that negative? Well, I agree with you on the Liam O'Neill side of things. I don't, while I think it's refreshing and it's given us plenty to talk about this week, I don't think... Uthron Cohen, Luke Lasquale should be making comment on every manager that has something negative or positive to say because if that was the case we'd be getting a quote from Liam pretty much Monday to mm. Sunday. Well, well, but well, at the well same is, it, time, is it the case that he's in, he's clearly in the final lap of his presidency he doing a job speak a little bit freer. There might be something in that if this was year one of his presidency well maybe he would be a little more well, reluctant then he's to make such outside, comments. What you're saying is he's operating outside of protocol. Well there's um, no... There's no protocol here. It isn't well, in there the is. GA there, constitution. The GA, it's not in the rule book the, that a yeah, president can't make protocol, a comment on the something. The whole idea of protocol is that it's not necessarily a rule. It's This is how things operate. And things don't operate by the president of the association. I think it's going far to describe it as 
going beyond the protocol. Well, if you're saying maybe that, it's not a healthy situation. No, no, I didn't say that. I'm saying there might, there might there might be something in that suggestion that he's operating from a different mindset because it's his final year. There might be. I don't know if there is. Well, then that suggests that it's a flawed because if he's not doing it in the first year, then why is he doing it now? But I suppose also Liam O'Neill is trying to raise point out that this black card is here to stay. Mickey Hart can bitch about it all he wants. It doesn't matter. Mm. This isn't... It, it, it's going to happen. It is happening right now. And Liam O'Neill's sense, obviously, is that Mickey Hart is so against this. He's such a powerful voice within the GEA that maybe if... And there was bad decisions last weekend. If Mickey keeps raising this over the summer, maybe some more managers will start coming forward. And next thing, we're back next winter. They're going to Congress. And there's another motion been raised saying, let's get rid of the black card again. That's not going to happen. Like the black well, card is a black card has been a brilliant thing for football, and it'll be and it'll be proven to be the case. And in my opinion, I think Liam O'Neill would have been better off phrasing that in another way or using a different platform to get his point across. Looking at the actual match uh, last weekend, strange one. First half was terrible. Second one for fifteen minutes, Tyrone looked like a team who will be involved late August, possibly into September. And then they just collapsed before Sean Kavanagh rescued them again. Can we take anything from that opening game? It was, last weekend in general, was just quite a slow burner. Mm. It has taken a while to get going. You would presume to run one game under their belt that in the replay, yeah. they should have enough. That's what I'd be feeling. Conor Deegan uh, was chatting to us after the game and he, was, he talked about uh, how Tyrone set themselves up in a way that actually suited Don. Eventually set themselves up in a way that suited Don. Uh, Don playing that hold, holding role and were able to break up the Tyrone attack too easily, he was saying. Um, and also the idea that, obviously, like the clear thing was that Don were struggling in the first half at midfield and then McKernan, Benny Coulter into midfield and then started to pick up more of the breaking ball. That was essentially where Conor Deegan was saying the game was sort of won and lost. And they're all sort of factors that say to me that Tyrone can fix for the replay. And also, also, Niall Morgan, presumably this time, will get to play the full 70 minutes. And it's just incredible. We've seen with Stephen Cluxon how influential his kickouts can be, but Niall Morgan, I think, has taken it to a whole other level. Well, Niall Morgan's kickouts, obviously, I think he's a goalkeeper that has actually studied Stephen Cluxon quite closely, as most goalkeepers in the country probably do. I mean, he is the standard bearer when it comes to how keepers can influence games. But at the same time, the kickouts that were been taken by Niall Morgan's replacement... They weren't overly poor, but the movement in front of them seemed to have switched off completely. Niall Morgan had far more to aim at when he was on the pitch than his replacement did. It was like Tyrone got sucked into some sort of uh, laser. Is, is that not? Is that not maybe that Morgan's kickouts are so good? He's finding space. He looks. Well, up. I don't yeah. know. I mean, if you they they I, I watched them pinpoint the movement of the Tyrone outfield players after Morgan left the field it was completely different and Kieran Whelan did a good job in another Sunday game that it looked like it was almost easy for the down players to pick up that breaking ball and that they were approaching it in a more intelligent way also when you're looking at a replay the question you often ask yourself is which team has most improvement in them and I don't know the answer to that question on one hand down obviously were vastly improved in the second half if they deliver anything like they did in the second half they'll make a game of it from the start on the other hand Tyrone brought Stephen O'Neill Martin Penrose Justin McMahon and Conor Gormley off the bench in the second half mm-hmm. if they all start on Sunday in Park Gessler you have to think that will do a huge amount for Tyrone's um, way of playing as well as having Niall Morgan in between the sticks for the entire game so in terms of that who has most to improve on it's probably Tyrone but I think down of a massive improvement as well, well something I thought was interesting was Benny Coulter was obviously hugely influential in midfield and this seems it's it's so kind of set in the GEA way that in midfield you want two big 
tough fellas who'll catch the ball and give it to the creative players. But we've seen with Kerry last season where they brought Gooch out of the full forward line, played him at centre forward, get him on the ball as much as you can and let him create. It seems like an obvious thing in the GA that maybe you should be bringing your more talented players out to where the ball is more often. Benny mm. Coulter may not be as big and as strong as your typical midfielder, but if you can get him on the ball three or four times more than when he's playing in the half forward line or playing even further in, it seems like an obvious thing to do. Well, it is an obvious thing to do. And you're look, it's only possible for counties who have players remaining inside that are extremely talented. So you talk about bringing Gooch into the centre-half four position. If Kerry didn't have James O'Donoghue, Darren O'Sullivan, Declan O'Sullivan inside they wouldn't, simply wouldn't be able to bring Colin Cooper out because they would have known to actually get the scores that they need to win the games. And so he's released to play in that centre-half four position and we know what a, an incredible playmaker he is. And similarly, from a down point of view, Benny Coulter is not the player he used to be. He can't make his own space. He can't kick the scores he used to be able to kick. But as you say, he's still a talented footballer if he's on the ball. And you're getting on the, get on the ball far more often from a midfield position. The key thing for this Sunday, I think, from a down point of view, is that Mark Poland wasn't in the game at all for the first 15 minutes. He's their best player. He was wonderful in last year's championship. If he isn't on the ball from centre-half forward, Down won't win the game. And I think that is where they can improve dramatically as well by getting Poland involved. I presume as well, like just that idea, kind of linking it back to the goalkeeper actually in, in many ways, the idea that, uh, you know, the big sort of six foot seven uh, midfielder, like if you have a goalkeeper like Cluxton or like Morgan now, that actually, in some ways, maybe you don't need those players. No, like don't. you say, that actually you can. You're going to be so accurate with you're your kickouts. It's the not wing really, backs Well, well the whole the, idea of, the of having that sort of player is that it's a 50-50 ball. So you're going to need that bulk and that strength. But actually, if you're making it more of a 70-30, maybe you don't need that. All right, call it, Dave. Uh, I think it's a really tough one. I think this could go to extra time, but I'm going to go for Tyrone. Adrian. Yeah, I, I just think, as I said earlier, I think uh, Tyrone can easily identify where things went wrong for them in the final One thing, 30 minutes. Th- James McCartan's expecting between fifteen and 20,000 people in Park Esler. It's a real cauldron. It's a wonderful ground for a championship game, particularly on a Saturday evening, if the sun is out. It's just pure championship fair. That could have an impact, but overall, I'd probably just have to side with Tyrone. Uh, I'll go with Tyrone as well last week we started our predictions but it was really only a warm up it doesn't overly count I think count. we should get to that Nathan let's, I may let's, have got a, I, I got two out of five actually, yeah. I got uh, my predictions for Wicklow and Westmead uh, didn't go so you well buy, you, you picked Wicklow to beat Leash. I just had a feeling yeah, I thought it was building up with Dave. the battle this of Ockram like, you weren't here Dave you weren't here it was building behind Wicklow unfortunately it didn't happen on the day and Mr Negativity around his own county here went against Westmead it's not negativity as I pointed out earlier when it actually happens like why it's like and that's actually look I'm not going to I'm going to get off my horse now but that's actually the point it's not negativity and people could people could read my saying that Westmead last week weren't, weren't going to be written as negativity it's not it's just why, why, if I see it going the other way then why would I call and it and you were correct way? which is the main thing like hindsight is five. a wonderful thing but there were two, two pretty poor calls Nathan uh, uh, I like it. to see them as exceptional the results speak for themselves I've never seen Wicklow win a championship match I know. <laughs> uh, this weekend uh, Dave you're going to be up at Celtic Park on Sunday for the meeting of Derry and Donegal Connor Deegan Michael Meehan Cullen Parkinson will be up there with you show it's gets underway at one commentary from two can't wait for this game I think this is going to be the game of the weekend actually um, it's fascinating it's so beautifully poised you've got the whole question of where Donegal are at I, it's clear that they've reached their peak and are coming down the other side of the hill. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a brilliant game. Yeah, well, let's get the view from Donegal. We're joined by Chris McNulty of the Donegal News. And Chris, Tom also Shea in today's Irish Independent is quoted as saying, Donegal look like a team that aren't enjoying their football. They're being told what to do, but it's as if they're not listening, as if they've no interest in it. Whatever connection was there is gone. Is that a fair enough comment, Chris? Has the spark gone out of this Donegal side? 
I don't know. The, the signs so far this year are, are that the, the, the spark has gone. You know, I mean, they, they won promotion without really ever hitting the high notes. Um, they, they started off, I, I suppose, like a, a house on fire against um, both Galway and, and Leash. Won the two games really comfortably. Um, they've been back to training pretty early. They were back maybe late late November, early December, and so. I suppose they were just so much further ahead of, of, of both Galway and Leach in those two open National League games. But the trend was a downward one since that, and it culminated with, with the league final defeat against um, Mullen, which was very, very disappointing defeat for Donegal. Now, to say that the spark has gone and stuff maybe is a wee bit OTT at this stage, because like what I'm actually getting out, out of the Donegal camp at the moment is that it's a you know a, a pretty happy, pretty confident camp at the moment heading to Derry and. Spirits are seem to be particularly high. You know the the injuries are clearing up, and um, all the signs pointing to the, you know every play, every everyone on the panel being being available to Jim McGuinness for Sunday. So I suppose we only really know at four o'clock on Sunday. There have been worrying signs, but um, and I suppose it is the big but in Donegal. The mood in the camp does seem to be very positive heading to Derry on Sunday. Yeah, you say it is a happy camp. I think maybe around the rest of the country, the feeling would be that there are problems within the camp in Donegal. Obviously, Rory Gallagher left over the winter, Mark McHugh stepping away in recent weeks. Having been around training in that, is is there a similar mood to two years ago or have there been certain changes? No, well, I suppose there, there are certainly big changes um, to, tw- to 2012 and there's no doubt that, that the departure of, uh, of Rory Gallagher, Maxi Kern and Francis Free last autumn did have an effect on the county, you know, and uh, I suppose it's still something that's lingering away in the in the background, and uh, it's it's something people are still talking about, you know, when certain things happen, everyone goes back to this question of what would have happened in Rory Gallagher's time, and it's, I suppose, again, going back though, to, to late 2011, when Kevin Cassidy was asked from the panel, it's still something people, you know, people still keep asking, you know, uh, in certain games, would Kevin Cassidy have made a difference? That only really left Tony Goff with a bit of success in 2012. Now, the departure of, of the few players, I, I suppose, was maybe magnified with the departure of Mark McHugh because he was, he was such a big name. Um, like the other three guys, and uh, you know, I, I say this not in disrespect to them, but they left simply because they weren't getting game time and probably the chances of them getting game time were slim to non-existent for, for the summertime. So, you know... I suppose the bigger picture then, people looked at four players in front of the Donegal panel and it was maybe seen as a bit of a crisis. But to be honest with you, no, I don't think it, it, it was as bad as maybe was made out to be. Uh, Chris, just a couple of quick things uh, for me. Writing, I was reading one of your, one of your articles this week and uh, you had um, written about the Algarve training camp last month and a sense that the toll of the camp there was too much. I suppose only time is going to tell if it was uh, over the top by Jim McGuinness, but is there a sense that it might have been? There certainly was in that league final, you know, and, and that was the one worrying thing about the modern game was that Donegal looked very, very heavy-legged, looked jaded and looked tired, which is not what you want a team, you know, a, a team that needs, I suppose, a positive summer and a positive championship. It wasn't the signs that we were looking for. Now, there was an interesting one, um, Declan Bonner, who, who's our, um, our Gaelic Games analyst in the paper, he, he had a, a column in the day after the league final um, and he was talking and he, he met Tommy Carr um at halftime and Tommy was sort of saying to him that any time he went away with Dublin teams that three to four weeks was when you really saw the work of the of, mm-hmm. a, of such a training camp and he, he was sort of saying to Declan, you know, don't don't be you know, don't read too much into this. But again, like I said at the start, we know on Sunday and 
Sunday really is, is the day. You know, I, I don't think really, um, and it sounds, I suppose, a bit dramatic to say, but I don't think Donegal can afford to lose this game on Sunday um, for a lot of reasons. You know, we look at, you know, even the time and the money that was invested in, in the Algar trip, albeit, it, it, you know, it was raised solely by Jim, Jim McGuinness and a few, a few backers of his, but... That said, you know, it was a pretty costly trip and people invested in it. And, you know, when, when people are doing the, the like of that, they want to see a return. And when it comes to the summertime, you know, the, the only currency that people want to talk in is championship victories. The other thing that I just wanted to ask you about briefly was the uh, sort of style or pattern that's emerging for Donegal. Or if there is one, obviously the defensive thing in 2011 was the big thing. And then sort of tweaking that slightly to bring in the attack aspect of things in 2012. Last year, in many ways, it was kind of maybe tough enough to get a steer on exactly where they were at. But is there any sort of pattern emerging or a game plan from what you've seen of Donegal so far this year? Again, in the National League, there wasn't. You know, one thing that we did take out of the National League, and perhaps we can link it to Mark McHugh's departure, is that there did seem to be a, a want with management to do away with or to move on rather from, from the sweeper system that was was so effective in, in 2012 with Mark McHugh playing the role. And that was really the only thing we took out of the league. You know, there were times where we'd have gone long looking for Michael Murphy at the edge of the square, times where Michael would have dropped back. But what we, what is the expectation on Sunday is that we can expect a return to something pretty close to that day in 2011, that, that infamous, so that famous day, whatever you look at it, where Donegal played double. We do expect Donegal to be very, very, very defensive on Sunday. Um, you know, the, I suppose the indication are that Jim wants to keep it as tight as possible and pretty much maybe only the likes of Michael Murphy, Colin McFadden, Patrick McBurdy, and I suppose forming the front six forward positions, if, if you will, and perhaps even one of those coming back. Um, that is the, the indication are, are that Donegal will be will, will set up with an extremely defensive formation on Sunday. All right, thanks for that, Chris. Uh, interesting insight into the Donegal setup ahead of Sunday's game, which is live here on Off the Ball. There seems to be a general acceptance that Donegal are in decline, that maybe they've been found out to a certain extent. We're hearing from Chris that they're going to go back, more than likely, ultra, ultra defensive. I wouldn't be surprised if the words puke football were heard at some stage on Sunday. Jim McGuinness has been held up, and rightly so, after the way they won the All-Ireland, as being, as basically revolutionising Gaelic games. If he is such a good coach, should we expect him to do it again? Yeah, well, it was funny you mentioned that, Tomas O'Shea piece. I read that today, and he uh, talked about when Kerry played Donegal in the 2012 quarterfinal. Uh, Kerry lost by two points, and uh, he spoke about trying to figure out the Donegal system, and he said it was probably the toughest system he ever had to figure against. So this was the uh, defensive system at that point, and obviously in 2012 they were bringing that sort of attack aspect to it as well. But a guy who could... Like, Tomas O'Shea has been around a while and has played against a lot of different managers and a lot of different systems. So, like, a guy... Now, granted, there was a slightly different backroom team at that point. There was a slightly different playing staff at that point. But you would have to imagine that a guy who could be as forward-thinking as Jim McGuinness was at that time, you just don't completely lose that and that Donegal will have something to offer. It will be interesting to see. I was fascinated to hear Chris say that they're going to be ultra-defensive on Sunday, mind you. Really expect them to uh, revert to type. Dave? Donegal in 2012, in many ways, obviously they were the best team in the country and what they did was... astonishing achievement compared to maybe two, three years previously when they were massacred by Armagh in a qualifier in 2000 and 2010 it was. But at the same time, they were blessed with injuries. I mean, they pretty much won the All-Ireland with 18 players. They're starting 15. Mm. They had Declan Walsh, David Walsh and Leo McLoone. And aside from those 18 players, there was nobody that really made any significant contribution to that All-Ireland winning team. You look at the side that's going to be playing on Sunday. Rory Cavan is out for the 
ridiculous stunt in the league final against Monaghan. He's a massive loss because Neil Gallagher is carrying an ankle injury. He may not be fit. They've lost Ryan Bradley, who was one of the most underrated players on that Donegal team over the last four years. He's emigrated. They've lost Mark Hugh, Mark McHugh. We know exactly what he was capable of. One of the guys who used to uh, last season brought stuff off the bench is Ross Weirty. He's gone. He's in New York. And I just think overall, we haven't been convinced by the players, guys like Ryan McHugh, for example, who are coming in behind, McNeilish, for example, who've come through the under-21 system because they got to the Ulster final this year, beaten by Cavan. Their third highest scorer, McNeilish. Yeah, in the league. We're not convinced by them just yet. So there's a huge amount of question marks. And the midfield that Donegal play, you mentioned, um, Chris mentioned that Michael Murphy will be left inside with Paddy McQuirty and um, Colin McFadden. Murphy may have to start a midfield on Sunday and he may be... You know, you've you've lost immediately what he's capable of on the edge of the square. Fergal Doherty's playing in the championship for the first time in three years for Derry at, mid- at midfield. He had a brilliant league campaign. And Patsy Bradley is probably in the form of his life. So the midfield area is going to be really difficult for Donegal. I think that if Donegal go back to this ultra-defensive system, that is their best chance of winning the game. Because Derry under John Brennan in 2011 and 12 embarrassed themselves against Donegal. They learned nothing from one game to the other. They went into both matches with high hopes to be fair in the Ulster final in 2011 they lost Owen Bradley and Paddy Bradley to cruciate injuries but I think Derry will have learned an awful lot under their new manager Brian McIver he knows Donegal inside out he, he also had a, a problem though them. when he was in Donegal of transferring league form to championship mm. he did and Derry have always had a problem transferring league form to championship because we are talking so much there are huge question marks over Donegal but the biggest question mark of all is can Derry actually on the day turn mm. up and perform like they did during the league and as soon as you start to invest any faith in Derry because of what they've shown you in the spring, they let you down. Mark Lynch was the best player in the league in the eyes of many people. He was prolific both from play and from place balls. He's lost weight. His power is still there. His bulk is still there, but he's actually got speed to back it up now. Uh, they, Sean Lee McCaldrick, if he's fit, he'll be brilliant. Quellen O'Boyle had a brilliant league campaign. So they've got players that are doing extremely well. All the question marks are over Donegal, though. And I think this will be a huge test of Jimmy Guinness. Because if they come through this, they're effectively in an Ulster final. They're into the last 12 of the All-Ireland if they win on Sunday. Because no one would really back them to fail against the winners of Fermanagh and Antrim. So this is a massive game for both of these teams. But I think all the doubts are around Donegal. And so it's a qu- I'm not going to write them off because that would be stupid. But it's a question of what they show us on Sunday. Yeah, well, look, it's hard to disagree with any of that. Uh, Derry, by the way, have been training since September or October. Uh, direction of last year. Really? Is that allowed? It is yeah. when you get knocked out in the championship <laughs> when they were. The um, that's just a phenomenal amount of time, and mm. it, like it probably pays a bit of dividends now, but that's not sustainable. Because I mean, that's if you know if they're talking about getting to an Ireland semi-final, possibly a final. I mean, that's a full twelve months. That's a lot of training. That's, well, the Donegal team that won the Ulster Championship and got to the All Ireland semi-final in twenty eleven were training for the same amount of time, and I guess it's an advantage when you're knocked out in the summer as early as Donegal and Derry were. You get to do that. I don't think it'll tell yet. I mean, Derry just ran out of legs against Dublin. But I don't think that was anything to do with fatigue. It was just that Dublin they probably so occasionally got the better of them and Dublin were just so mm. far superior. But I just think this is a game that will give you everything that you hoped the first half in Healy Park was going to give you last Sunday, but didn't. I think uh, you spoke about Celtic Park, uh, Park not the, the fortress that it might have been at one point. And you said, Dave, about that... Uh, it's such a straightforward route to the final, really. The winners that from mm. an Antrim game. It's massive carrot and Donegal to do for me. Uh, I'm going to go for Donegal as well. I think their experience will come to the fore and I just don't trust Derry at all to get the job done on the day. Uh, that, Derry for said, me. Derry for Dave. Yeah, I think Derry are going to win this game. Oh. I just think Donegal... 
their lack of resources, I think, is starting to show. And Jim McGuinness, does he have to take a certain amount of criticism for that in that he is stuck so closely with the same 18, 19 players over the past couple of years? I know you can say they just haven't come come through. That yeah, look, if it's the Tony players Gold. are out there, he would go with them. But at the same time, you'd wonder how the, say, the guys' numbers 23 to 30 on the squad who are still there every single week training yeah. four or five times look, a week. It showed up last year because they were just fleeced by injuries last season when they started to lose Neil Gallagher and Carl Lacey and Frank McGlynn. They just couldn't cope with the injuries and that is in, unfortunately what led to the modern performance and the Mayo performance. But it's still Donegal. Like, they're one of the smallest counties in the country when it comes to playing numbers. I don't think that's a fair accusation to level at Jimmy Guinness. All right, uh, that's live and off the ball this Sunday. Also on Sunday, we'll be keeping an eye on matters in Roy Slip. A lot of Galway's best footballers will be in action. Unfortunately for Galway, half a dozen of them will be wearing the colours of London uh, in their Connacht Championship quarterfinal. London, an incredible season last season, beat Sligo and Leitrim, got to a Connacht final, got to Croke Park. They brought Mayo to extra time a couple of years ago. Galway, humiliated by Mayo 12 months ago, somehow or another managed to scrape through the qualifiers and ended up in Crow Park and pushed Cork quite close. This wouldn't be a huge shock if London won this game. I think it would be a massive shock. Really? I really do. Um, a London team who lost heavily to the mighty Wicklow, Tipperary and Antrim. Uh, during the league and I understand the points that you make about Galway and they are relevant and there's no Gary Sykes and there's no Michael Meehan from last year um, and interesting to see former Kildare player James Kavanagh at wing forward uh, making his debut for Galway at wing forward uh, this weekend but like it's it's uh, every point you make about Galway is absolutely fair and I feel if there was a team there that was um, you know potentially with the possibilities that could actually uh, pounce and that sort of thing um there might be an argument for it. I just think that London are going backwards from where they were last year. They've lost six players uh, from the team that did so well last year. And that's a lot of experience from, you know, a, a bunch that wouldn't necessarily have any experience of playing Yeah, and Lorcan Mulvey, uh, they just uh, released their team uh, before we came into the studio. And uh, Lorcan Mulvey, who is their captain, their all-star nominee from last year, he's not in the starting 15. He's been struggling with a groin injury. So if he doesn't play a part, that is a massive loss as well I was talking to Mark Gotcha who does play uh, a couple of weeks ago about obviously you would think that London having got to Crow Park that there'd be huge enthusiasm now around London that it's a chance for the game to grow and he was pointing out was like no look at nobody arrives in London to play Gaelic football we have the players we have the guys who've emigrated that we have no real there's no real youth system coming through anything like that that there's a group of guys who end over in London because of work and that's what they have to there's no real way of growing the game well it was a very interesting documentary we did a piece uh, with the guy who made it and whose name I can't quite think of at this very point in time uh, about a school in London where there was a couple of Irish guys there was two Irish guys and then a second generation Irish guy who were teachers there and they all the kids they had were all Londoners so and they come from all sorts of ethnic racial geographical uh, class backgrounds and so these guys decided let's try and put a GA team together Entered them in the coming to Munskill or whatever whatever the the underage thing was and there was the finals were up in Enniskill and or um, up that direction somewhere and they this team went on and won it so this there was a whole bunch of kids and so we got to sort of get a bit of an insight into the background of these kids and like you know potentially a lot of them might have actually been more tempted to go and play football and they were going home to their families and saying you know uh, actually ma I think I'm gonna go and play GA like and the parents were like what the hell is GA. So but that's one school. Yeah. So, but but the point about it is right. So you would need to multiply that obviously by quite some number of schools to have any sort of a uh, you know concrete system of players coming through. But it's not impossible. 
they're not going to be needless to say featuring for London anytime soon but uh, but yeah I, I, there is an argument that it can be done it's going to take a bit of resources what the hell is going on in Galway I don't know they're impossible to figure out their league form was absolutely pathetic they won two of their games the form they showed in the championship last year was completely masked by that performance against Cork a Cork team that ultimately showed that they were well past their sell by date I saw them against Armagh against one of the worst Armagh teams I've ever seen in watching Armagh for 25 years all they did was keep Jamie Clark quiet and that was the end of the Armagh challenge on a blistering day in Salt Hill they scraped past Waterford with an injury time winner the two top scorers in the league Sean Armstrong and Paul Conroy Conroy both missing this weekend Michael Meehan is obviously missing and it's a case of London whose record against Galway is worse than it is against any other team in the Connacht Championship they could win this Sunday I think it still would be a shock to describe it as anything other than a shock I don't think it would be correct but I think if ever they were going to be Galway who I don't think of any character and have showed no progression I don't understand understand this because I spent five years working in Galway and Alan Mulholland was someone who was coming up through the systems, won an All-Ireland minor, won an All-Ireland under 21. Mm. They were waiting for him to take over the senior team for years. Everyone wanted him to get this job. And I, when he got the job, I was presuming, OK, Galway are going to slowly they've since won two more All-Ireland under 21s. Yeah. And but have just gone Now, there are players coming through, like Shane Walsh, for example, is a star in the making. He will be the Michael Meehan of the Galway team for the next 10 years. Just a question of whether or not there are going to be guys alongside him. But look, I think Galway will win the game. But if ever London were going to beat Galway in the first round of the Championship, it, it should be this Sunday. There is an issue. You mentioned Paul Conroy missing, Sean Armstrong missing, Michael Meehan missing. The three of those are fit and playing. Galway are a All-Ireland quarter-final they're a top eight in the country team without those yeah. they're a team who might struggle to win a game this year and think, they could struggle to beat London I think the if the London team that were there last year started again this weekend there'd be a possibility they could uh, pull something off here you said Larkin Mulvey's out as well that's that's a big blow to them I think Galway Luke McManus by the way is the guy who made the documentary check out his Twitter feed and I'm sure you'll find a link to the documentary somewhere well worth watching are we all going for Galway? Well, it's, I mean, you two better better stick to your guns there because you've both sort of been pumping up London over the last while. It's hard to predict that London will win the game, but I won't be hugely shocked. Ah, you will, do. though. You will. I, I came, won't. Yeah, I'll have to. I, I interviewed, actually, Mark Gotcha this time last year and I came away being so impressed by his enthusiasm for it and I had a real feeling that London were going to go and beat Sligo. <laughs> when I spoke to him this year, I got the sense that maybe he wasn't happy with the progression or the lack of progression in the league, that things just hadn't kicked on over the last year and maybe... 2013 was their season where everything went right the draw went in their favour they got their Connacht final appearance and their Croke Park appearance and that maybe it's just the, the bubble's been burst at this stage they've lost to Wick I'll, I'll repeat I'll, I'll go back to where I started Look, heavily, team heavily, great he, heavy losses to Wicklow Tipperary and Antrim that's the end of the discussion as far as I'm concerned well they were really poor on the league in 2011 before they should have beaten Mayo really yeah. poor they had a poor league campaign last season there's never any sign of them getting out of Division 4 and we saw them get to an iconic final so I don't think you can really look at the league form when you're predicting whether or not London are going to beat Galway look it'll be a surprise if they do but it could happen this Sunday all right. I'm actually. Are you both going for Galway? Go on, go on. I'm going to go for Galway. Right. I'll go for Galway as well. But at least Nathan, he sort of put his money where his mouth is and kind of, you know, unlike you, who's been pumping up London. I've there for talked the last five myself minutes. into well, London. I've learned my lessons from last week, where I talked up Wicklow and then felt yeah. that I had to go with it. I better listen back to last week's pod because I would love to see and hear how you did talk up Wicklow. Yeah, go on. Nathan. I'd, love to, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> well, I felt the, that 
uh, they're at home. Listen, no leash, you couldn't trust Leash. No uh, need to go through it again. No, I'll the listen people back. who bother to actually click on this thing and listen to it, let's not put them through the torture. <laughs> I'm going back. Uh, that's the football uh, sort of for the weekend, but at uh, the jewel in the crown of the Irish summer, the Munster Hurling Championship gets underway this weekend. Cork against Waterford at Semple Stadium. Uh, there's been so much talk about Clare and Kilkenny in recent months that Cork somehow seem to be coming into this championship completely under the radar. I think they're going to win the All-Ireland. I think they've got a brilliant manager that they're only a Donald O'Donovan wonder point mm-hmm. away from winning it last year. They're unlucky with the red card in the Munster final. What, what, what's, what's the general view on Cork? Am I I'd agree hyping with them you. up here? I would agree. I think Cork might have to win the All-Ireland this year. Jimmy I'm Barry Murphy. about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Barry Murphy has said that this is the best Cork panel he's had since yeah. he's come back. They got promoted from Division 1B, obviously, which was a good thing for them. And I think that the young guys in particular who peaked and troughed over the course of last year's championship will just come on and leaps and bounds for what they experienced last year. As you say, it was just a magical score away from the winning the All-Ireland. And they're definitely going to be stronger this year than they were last. Now, there's other teams are going to improve as well. Obviously, we'll end up talking about all the various contenders over the weeks to come. They're playing a Waterford team who had a poor league... They are missing their best player and in, 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 in their top score, and they definitely haven't replaced the guys they've lost over the last five or six years. And you never know what you're going to get from Waterford, really. There have been some be. some of the great Munster Championship oh, yeah. games over oh, the well, past the last, decade have oh, been well. It's a decade matches. ago since uh, the 2004 final, one of the all-time great games. But this, you just think, this Waterford side is no is probably the worst Waterford team of the last 10 years. Well, I think they're a Waterford team in transition. It's going to take a while for the players who won the All-Ireland minor title last year to start to feed through. They've got brilliant schools teams as well. Hearty Cup champions over the last three or four years also. That might take a while for them to feed into the system. And Waterford will definitely... I think they're definitely going to be one of the teams that, to watch over the next five years. Not this weekend, though. The uh, I think the, it's the score. One of those websites have a really interesting read about the uh, best Cork-Waterford battles over the last few years. Worth checking out. Um, yeah, look, it's kind of interesting to look at their leagues. They've been had very different league campaigns, but then obviously Waterford were in a division with Tipperary, Kilkenny, Clare, all of whom they lost to. They beat Dublin and Galway. And then like Cork were in a division with Offaly, Leash, Antrim, Wexford all of whom they beat, needless to say, and then drawing with Limerick. And it was kind of the converse of the point I made about Westmeath last week being in this division where every team around them was just too good for them. And so there wasn't any possibility that Westmeath could actually... Uh, there was no way they could benefit it. There was no way they could get any better because they were playing against all these teams that were so much better than them. And I think the same point goes for Cork, that in some ways, when you're playing against all these teams that are so much worse than you, how can you really benefit in any way? There's not really a great benefit now. But then your point last week as well was that Westmeath would have zero confidence from losing every single match. But there's no confidence match. either to be get, to be to be taken mm. from like beating from from a confidence just from winning games. If they're, if they're not if they're all Ireland, uh, if their ambition is to win the All Ireland, there's no confidence for them to be taken from beating the likes of Leash and Antrim. I have to say, what, you, I mean, you're for completely forgetting what happened last year when three of the four All Ireland semi-finals were from outside Division One A. I mean, the league form really isn't going so, to paint so a huge is, picture. Are you, are you saying that Cork? Okay, all right. Well, that's that's entirely valid. But I mean, and that's ultimately what I'm saying. That Cork can't take any confidence from beating these no, teams. No, I don't think I don't think they are going into this championship thinking we had a great league, we're in great position for they're the championship. They're thinking we got to the All Ireland final yeah, last year that's and my point. probably should have won it. The one thing about Waterford is they're kind of <laughs> That's exactly what, what I said. Waterford are kind of the, the <laughs> like Newcastle of uh, half, but Jesus. They're kind of the Newcastle of hurling. There's always some drama with them. Who with Waterford? That when you look back in those who grades was the, who was the somebody was the Arsenal who was it last uh, week? the Arsenal 
I'll have to have a think about <laughs> was that. It Tyro- was it Tyrone? No, no. Oh. Uh, who, who bottled it uh, at the end when it, when it actually really mattered? Mayo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to go through a full week without <laughs> talking about Mayo. Who else could it be other than Mayo? Um, um, but but anyway, look, I don't know. It's, it is an interesting point about Cork. Um, when you look at the like the likes of the players that were coming through last year, uh, and some of them have been around for a while, obviously. But Anthony Nash, Shane O'Ne- O'Neill, Harnady, Pa Horgan, and then listen to Jamesy on off the ball last night talking about O'Neill not being a natural fullback and that they had problems at six as well. Well, th- Jimmy Barry Murphy has addressed both of those in his team for this game uh, because O'Neill's been shifted into corner back and uh, Christopher Joyce. Uh, he was talking about the, the need to replace Christopher Joyce essentially in that position. And so Jimmy Barry Murphy goes for Mark Ellis at uh, centre-back, went brilliantly for CIT in the Fitzgibbon Cup, and Damien Cahillan at full-back, um, who's one of these dual players, um, last time to play, I think perhaps his only time to play was a, a qualifier against Wexford in 2012, but he hasn't been seen since. I'm really so. excited about seeing dual players again, particularly Aidan Walsh, middle of midfield for the Cork Hurlers, middle of midfield for the Cork Footballers, both of whom have a great chance of winning an All-Ireland title or getting to an All-Ireland final. I'd love to be in Aidan Walsh's position right now it's not when it's getting to this part of the season where the training is done and he's going to be playing games pretty much relentlessly. But Tom Kenny was in the paper today saying he doesn't see this working on the hurling front that it's so fast that Aidan Walsh just... The ball, the Schlitter just moves too quick for him. He's so used to football being played at a slower place. I don't think Jimmy Barry Murphy would be playing him unless he thought he was ready for this game. I mean, the, the winners will play Clare in the Munster semi-final. The guy really I am looking forward to watching is Alan Cadigan. He's been named a corner forward, another dual player. He's on the fringes of the Cork Senior Football Panel as well. He's an absolute star. He's going to be a superstar. He's in the position now that Conor Lehan was in two years ago. And Conor hasn't quite backed it up, but although he did at times show some brilliance in last year's championship. I saw Cadigan play against Limerick in the opening round of the league and he was practically unplayable. And he's in the corner alongside Harnady and Horgan. And I just think that it's going to be a forward line. Those six forwards are going to give Waterford a torrid time on Sunday afternoon. I don't think Waterford have enough at the other end of the field to make a really great game of it. Um, well, they have this uh, Austin Gleeson, this kid, who won the uh, minor with uh, Waterford last year, won the All-Ireland. And after one of the Munster games, uh, The Rock tweeting that he was as good a hurler as he'd seen in a while, comparing him to a young Ken McGrath. Now, the point about it is. Bit of a step up, obviously. Well, it is. And the other point about it is that you need to have another five or six players around you to get the benefits of it. You can't be this sole beacon. Well, considering myself and Dave are both tipping Cork for the All Ireland, I presume, Dave, you're going for them to beat Waterford in this match. Cork to win the All Ireland through the qualifiers. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think Cork will win this Sunday, yeah. And I think, actually, they'll win by seven or eight points. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe maybe even more than that and I mean I repeated the Ireland final in the next round who doesn't want that alright well that's it for week 2 of the Friday GEA podcast don't forget Sunday we've got live coverage from Celtic Park Derry against Donegal Dave will be up there he'll be with uh, Billy Joe Padden uh, Michael Meehan will be there as well so he'll be able to keep us uh, keep an eye on Galway yeah, and we'll give us an insight him, into actually, the uh, after that uh, Galway game chat to him about how, how things well, after, after Galway have trounced London Dave and uh, Colin Parkson we'll will be there on the sideline hopefully getting soaked to the skin like he did uh, last Sunday in Ockram <laughs> though in fairness it was only about a 45 minute drive back from Ockram where I had to listen to a morning you got a good three and a half hour drive probably back from Celtic Park yeah I may just have to put the music around full blast or the remainder of off the ball on obviously uh, before I have to listen to Wooly just pretty much bullshit well saved Dave by the way that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, alright uh, Adrian's about to say something really insightful here <laughs> Sorry, can't speak can't talk turn, can't turn, listen turn the off <laughs> uh, alright we'll talk to you over the weekend <laughs>